the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome back to another edition of the Conference USA Podcast here on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Uh, Both seasons in full swing. It's the holidays. I thought we'd hit you with one more quick one before we ourselves take a little break uh, to celebrate the holidays. But with a few bowl games already in the books, thought we'd uh, give a couple minutes to talk about those. And of course, early signing period just started. So we'll hit on that a little bit, too. Uh, of course, I'm Joe Lonergan, the Western Kentucky Conference USA person uh, over at UDD. And, uh, of course, Mr. Eric Henry, the FIU beat writer. How are you doing today, sir? It is another beautiful day uh, online. It's actually not a beautiful day here in Paradise. It's uh, it's cold and rainy, uh, relatively speaking to what we uh, call cold here in Florida. Uh, it's about 58 degrees and rainy, so, yeah, not, not quite a beautiful sunny day here in Florida, but all in all, can't complain. Well, that's karma for bragging about good weather on every other podcast we've done, so no sympathy for me. I- <laughs> I, I, I figured I'd hit you with the with the usual lead in and just kind of you know call audible there, yeah. So it is it is karma kicking us in the butt here. <laughs> anyway, uh, we had some good weather in New Mexico earlier this week, where uh, Utah State and North Texas were facing off. Utah State, of course, ran away with that one, fifty-two to thirteen. Uh, Mason Fine pulled a hamstring early, so North Texas kind of had to work with. Uh, revolving door of backup QBs in this one and the mean green find themselves dealing with a few other injuries as well uh, particularly in the defensive secondary in the second half and with really with Utah State uh, they were just playing in this incredibly aggressive style and it just seemed like they were going for that home run ball on every play you know so uh, the Aggies kind of run away with that game not a great start for (laughs) bowl season for Conference USA teams yeah, Joe, talk about it. I mean, when we talked about this bowl game, you know, I think believe both of us uh, picked North Texas to win. Mm-hmm. We didn't, by any stretch of the imagination, write off Utah State because they're a really good program. But, yeah, I mean, I just didn't expect. And, of course, the injuries are going to play a part. When you lose uh, a passer like Mason Fine, uh, you know, that's going to play a huge part. But I didn't expect Utah State's passing game to, to put up 359 yards through the air. Uh, when you look at it, 21 of 43. So it wasn't like, you know, it was dink and dunk and, and you know, just kind of uh, efficient passing route. They were getting yards in big chunks against a very good North Texas secondary. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a, definitely a shock here. When I we talked about it in our preview, I talked about uh, Gerald Bright. Uh, I believe it's Gerald or Gerald. I believe it's Gerald Bright, spelled with a G. Mm. Um, G-O is, is how it's uh, pronounced. But yeah, I, I had him as my highlighted player. And just to see that kind of uh, yardage giving up uh, against North Texas or um, in terms of the passing game was just really surprising. But yeah, I mean, you know, can't you can't uh, you can't complain too much because you, you walk with a nine-win season, but it's not sort of the note that you want to end your season on. Um, and I guess also one other quick throw, uh, quick note, uh, Casey Martin. Uh, you know, for him to get hurt as well, he's a guy who uh, I'm going to give him a little bit of a hard time because his biggest claim to fame was, you know, lighting up the uh, North Texas locker room with the dance moves. So I, I kind of expected uh, him to kind of ball out once he got his opportunity. But, yeah, just overall rough game for uh, North Texas. Yeah, I was uh, I was pretty surprised. I mean, of course, you know, you got to expect if Mason Fine goes down, uh, then that offensive performance is going to decline a little bit. But, man, I just I – was, I was more – impressed with Utah State than I was disappointed with North Texas, I guess, because, I mean, it just seemed like every other play, they were just going for, like, the long pass down the sideline, you know what I mean? Like, that was a team that just came out and said, hey, we're going to just try to just score as many points as possible because it's a bowl game, you know? That was kind of the extent of their strategy, it seemed like. (laughs) 
I mean, you're not wrong, but I'm just you know looking at the numbers here right now. When you give up uh, long plays of 72 and 67 yards through the mm-hmm. air, that was surprising because you excuse me, North Texas is a very solid team defensively, especially in the secondary. So just the yards and chunks what surprised me. And I guess you know the fact that they they had a 24 point second quarter. So by the time you look up the score is 38 to seven. Um, that yeah, that and once again give all the credit in the world to Utah State. You did mention that, but mm-hmm. uh, 38 to seven, I, I wouldn't have expected that from North Texas. No, not at all. Um, another result that I don't think we necessarily expected, at least in the form that it happened, was Middle Tennessee State losing to App State 45-13 to in the New Orleans Bowl. Uh, Stock still had 330 yards, but threw two interceptions in this one. MTSU just really had nothing to work with in the run game on top of that. Uh, App State just simply played a more balanced game, and it paid dividends for them as they obviously run away with this one a little bit in the scoring department. So kind of an anticlimactic end to the stock still, stock still era at uh, MTSU. Before I get into, you know, what I saw on the game, Joe, mm-hmm. did it seem to you, I don't know if you caught any of this on Twitter, that uh, some of the middle Tennessee state faithful or not so faithful seemed a little frustrated with Rick Stockstill uh, post game because I, I saw a little bit on Twitter and I don't know if that was just a vocal minority or or what that was but it seemed to be I, I, personally speaking I thought Rick Stockstill got the best out of this ball club and and for it's it's very rare that you have a coach who you can tell genuinely cares about his team and I'm not saying that you know out of all the FBS coaches that they don't care about their team but it, the there seems to be a relationship with Rick Stocks on this club that's just deeper than football. So it just kind of surprised me to see a little bit of the criticism on social media. I don't know if you saw any of that. I didn't see too much of it um, in terms of – I wasn't necessarily looking at, at social too much during this game. But, yeah, that's a little surprising considering I feel like he's done a pretty good job. And I understand people can kind of get – um, frustrated when you have results year after year after year with stock still where, you know, you get to a bowl game, but you ne- never necessarily, you know, push it to the level where you're competing with, um, you know, some of the bigger name programs in the country, I guess. Um, but yeah, still, I don't think there's not there's not too much there that you really have to complain about when you look at uh, Rick Stockstill's total body of work. And it's a little bit of a bummer that his last game coaching his son is um, just one where his team failed to execute in such a fashion. Of course, yeah. I mean, you mentioned the running game. That's one thing that you and I both talked on uh, last podcast as far as it, it couldn't be just Brent Stockstill. They were going to have to get something going against a very good App State team. And yeah. both of us did pick App State to win. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's no surprises there as far as we uh, are concerned. But, you know, to lose by 32 points, obviously a disappointing way to go out. And just to finish up that thought on, on Rick Stockstill, you know, I, I wasn't necessarily the biggest Rick Stockstill believer in terms of, you know, can he get – not to say can he get the most out of this ball club, but what could he get out of this ball club? I thought maybe if you know things were going in a different direction, maybe this team was a three or four win team. Maybe Middle Tennessee State might look to go on another route in terms of coaching and, and just kind of usher out the Stockstill era. But no, I mean, you know, shout out to my girl Emily Van Buskirk, who's a writer for Fanside, and she made me a believer in, in Brent and Rick Stockstill. And I, I, if, if you're a, if you're a Blue Raider fan, I think you have to be happy with the year. Not the way you want the season to end. Uh, uh, Stockstill had about 300 and something yards, which is you know par for the course for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you you lost against a, a very good App State team, and there's nothing to be ashamed of there. So uh, yeah, all in all, not necessarily the 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 result you want, but uh, it, it, eight wins. I don't think you can sneeze at that if you're a Middle Tennessee State. 
Completely agree. Um, another result that we need to talk about, and it's the first good one from this bowl season for Conference USA, UAB beating Northern Illinois 37-13 to in the Boca Raton Bowl. Um, another great moment for UAB football in the last two years. Uh, Tyler Johnston played absolutely incredibly uh, through for four touchdowns and 373 yards in this game. Uh, most of that was to Xavier Ubosi, and uh, NIU just really had no answer for that UAB passing game, which is not something I thought I would really say at the beginning of this season, if I'm being honest. <laughs> you know, I saw a very interesting point on Twitter, and I think it was Cyrus, uh, Cyrus Smith who made that point, but a lot of UAB fans were saying it as well. Was this the UAB offense that we – should have expected all season if you got a guy like Tyler Johnson. And and, and I think, uh, Joe, I am not a believer in, you know, revisionist history. I, I think it's it's very easy to Monday morning quarterback and say, in hindsight, we could have done this instead of that. And mm-hmm. if anyone's listened to this podcast, they know how much of a fan I am of H.A. Erdley. But, I mean, wow. Uh, 373 yards through the air for Tyler Johnson. Xavier Yabosi, he's a guy who, from the beginning of the year, I've thought has that type of big play potential. Um, very athletic receiver. Now, how much of that was Yabosi? How much was that was one game versus NIU? And how much of that was Tyler Johnston? Time will tell. Um, but it, all in all, yeah, like you mentioned, I don't think any of us saw that type of passing output uh, coming from UAB in necessarily a winning fashion. You think if they're throwing for that many yards, they're playing from behind. Spencer Brown, 25 carries for 78 yards. I mean, a, a tough running day for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, all in all, Northern Illinois, I even you know heard the announcers, Desmond Howard and, and company, um, I believe it was Jonathan Vilma as well, who was in the booth with him, who were just quite frankly, shocked at the fact that they thought if UAB was going to win this game, it was going to come on a 30-carry, 150-yard game for Spencer Brown. Not all those yards through the air, but great win for UAB. And yeah, you know, you can start writing the movie. Uh, if, you're a, <laughs> if you're a Disney script writer, I think you got a, a fair script to work with. <laughs> yeah, I would absolutely go see that if that turned into a movie. Do you, I mean, let's, let's poke at that for a second. Do you think that will eventually happen? Maybe it's the it's the you know Central Florida Orlando UCF grad in me, but I, I I think it has a fair chance to happen, and that's I mean let's just let's just look at this on 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 the surface, Joe. Like you said, poke at it a little bit. The team you have a true story, which I think makes the best football movies at least rooted in a true story. Mm-hmm. The team goes from I, I mean come on, you can start the movie with the actual video of and of course I always forget the the president's name when I need to remember it but um, you can actually begin the movie with the video of the president of UAB Ray Watts Mm -hmm. uh, saying that the funds aren't there and the and the um, I don't know if you remember do you remember the actual footage Joe off the top of your head or do you not I don't remember the I mean I remember the footage of the players crying I don't remember the footage of the yeah there was there was oh man I, this is something that I should have I should have asked you before the the we started taping um, there was the guy who I remember he had gone to to serve in the military and and was one of those 26 27 year old guys who decides hey you know I've got football eligibility I'm gonna go play and I remember him getting up in front of the team and saying what do I tell my kids that you know I I tell them that they've got all these brothers here you can start the movie with that and then and then you you know you go present day and it's just you know they're they're building. They're they're trying to raise money to get the the program started again. I think you have a great script there. So I, I personally, uh, after all that rambling, I, I think you you got a, a fair chance of that happening. Yeah, I think we just earned ourselves an executive producer credit on that movie. Hey, listen, hey, you and I are writers, Joe. We can knock this thing out. Yeah, yeah, for sure, <laughs> absolutely. <Yeah. laughs> I mean, why not at this point? Um, got. 
<laughs> I mean, Disney, you have money. We want it. Let's, let's, let's do it. That's, sounds about right. Yeah. Sounds about right. Just, just don't leave us in charge of casting. That would be an issue. But. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. Um, so we got three more bowl games still to come in this bowl season for Conference USA. Uh, Marshall in South Florida in the Gasparilla Bowl, uh, FIU in Toledo in the Bahamas Bowl, and then Hawaii and Louisiana Tech in the Hawaii Bowl. Uh, we previewed those a bit on our last podcast, and obviously we, at, as of this taping, those haven't happened yet, so there's not a whole lot else we can really say about those games that we haven't said already. Uh, but we will go ahead and move on to talking about the early signing period then. Uh, some teams are adding some new talent to their roster, and we'll probably do so a little more uh, come February. But uh, already some interesting talent to talk about that's uh, going to be part of the Conference USA uh, football world in the coming months. Uh, Eric, you had a little article go up on UDD earlier this week about um, about FIU's class. And uh, who are names in that group that are really, really exciting you right now? I did. I did. I actually, just prior to us taping this, I got off the phone with uh, FIU's director of recruiting, Brent Renner, the former North Carolina quarterback, mm-hmm. who was reunited with his old coach, or, or, or the coach who recruited him, because uh, Butch Davis ended up leaving North Carolina, but the coach who recruited him and Butch Davis, and he's doing great things there. And as far as guys you want to look for, uh, if you are listening to this Conference USA podcast, which hopefully you are, these are three names that I think you will become very familiar with in the next uh, three to four seasons. Uh, first one is Nikendra Carter, Joe. He is a guy who, he is 6'3", 230 pounds uh when you think of that type of size you automatically think of of a linebacker maybe a d end uh this kid played defense his junior season sophomore sophomore and junior years and his coach asked him to play running back just to fill a need mm-hmm. and, and he absolutely lit it up i mean you want to talk about adrian peterson type athleticism his huddle film looks exactly like that he is someone who fiu actually um I don't want to say they stole, but, you know, they were able to get at the last minute because he was an SMU commit. uh, And then he decommitted from SMU and there was mutual interest between he and Oklahoma State. And that looked like that might have been his destination. But in the last, you know, past two and a half, three weeks, all of a sudden FIU's kind of swooped in there. And and when I talked to Bryn, he said that, hey, it was just a matter of establishing that relationship with the kid and saying, hey, you know, come check us out, see what we're all about. And he clearly bought in. So uh, I, I think he's, he's according to Brent, is probably going to be their highest rated player who they sign in this cycle. He's, he's a three-star, um, maybe borderline four-star player. So uh, look forward to seeing him at FIU. And I think he'll have a chance to contribute immediately, uh, whether at the linebacker spot or as a pass rusher. Second guy is Stone Norton. Uh, Stone is a guy who he – in the in the 24/7 rankings era, uh, which dates back to about 2004, I believe, off the top of my head, mm. Stone is going to be the highest-rated quarterback who FIU's ever signed. He was Mr. Football in Tennessee. Um, this kid, Joe, you know, 40 touchdowns to three interceptions a senior season. Uh, I believe it's 84 touchdowns for his entire career. Uh, leads his team to a state title and we just look at him on film i mean he is a passer he's he's not a guy who he's got enough mobility to move the pocket but he by no means is he necessarily a, an alex magoo or someone like that who's gonna you know run a four five four four uh, in that type of range but just in terms of a passer i mean it's a beautiful thing to watch so uh, you know obviously fiu has james morgan for the next season but given a year to sit and learn behind morgan I look forward to seeing Stone. I actually did an interview with him. You can check that out on UDD as well. And the last guy I'm looking forward to seeing is Nate Jefferson, who he just, when you look at his tape, looks like Deshaun Jackson. 
I mean, he, yes, he wears a number one, and he's similar in stature. He's only about 5'10", 165, 170 pounds soaking wet, but he's a legit 4'4", 4'3", guy. Track star, you know, just that type of speed. And he comes out of an area in central Florida, out of Seminole County, Lyman High School, that I'm familiar with. Uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of good talent coming out of that area, and if you watch him on tape, yeah, I'm sure, you know, we all played high school football and you see that one guy who is clearly faster than everyone else, but he played at, you know, the big school in the small city and he clearly was more talented than everyone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, that That's not Nate. I mean, he's going up against guys who are just as quick and just as fast as he is. Uh, accounted for over 3,200 yards in his entire high school career. Um, played running back, return kicks, wide receiver. So those are three names who, who if, if you're listening to this Conference USA podcast, you definitely want to get very familiar with them because uh, if, if you're not a fan of FIU, I have a feeling you'll be seeing those guys make plays against your team for years to come. More than likely so, yeah. Uh, have you had a chance to get really familiar with uh, any top recruits in this conference outside of FIU by chance? I haven't because I've been so dialed into FIU's recruiting class. I've been kind of keeping an eye on um, when North Texas. I know North Texas had a, a very good recruiting class, and there was actually an article mm-hmm. written on them. Uh, I want to say it was an SI. Uh, saying that can they be the next UCF so I know that they uh, had a good recruiting cycle I know we just added someone uh, on the ODU beat and I know they brought in a couple of uh, quarterbacks actually three star guys I believe one of them's a Juco um, which was a little bit surprising because if you've listened to this podcast you know how much of a fan I am of Stephen Williams and I think Blake LaRussa at the very least earned a chance to you know see if he can earn the job next year mm-hmm. um, so the fact that they brought in so many quarterbacks was surprising but yeah outside of that I haven't had a chance to uh, catch up too much on, on that in terms of other uh, Conference USA schools. Yeah. Um, so in that article that you mentioned about Old Dominion, um, I believe come next year, there's going to be seven quarterbacks in that QB room. I'll, I'll let you go first because, you know, I, I kind of rambled on it a little bit. I'm definitely curious your thoughts. If you listen to this podcast, you know how I feel about Stephen Williams. So sure. uh, I'll, go ahead and shoot, Joe. Sure. I, I, I think it's – exciting but strange just because that's not the norm obviously to have seven quarterbacks in your QB room let alone when you have a guy like Blake LaRussa who you know despite the team's record last season played pretty well and I think at least earned the job at least earned the chance to win the job and you know be one of the top two candidates for the job going into fall camp next year um and then you bring in these guys who are uh, Hayden Wolf, who is uh, will be a freshman, and then uh, a JUCO guy in uh, Stone Smart from California. And both these guys are pretty good. So, I mean, obviously um, with uh, Wolf, with the full four years of eligibility, he'll have some time. But I, I just think it's interesting when you go after a guy like Stone Smart, who is quite good uh i believe he's a three star um with such limited eligibility i mean i guess you know he he's obviously going to be a good backup option for you but it you know you got to wonder how much i guess how much faith do they actually have in the other two guys in stephen williams and blake larusa if they're bringing in someone who i i think seems like kind of an immediate answer guy at least at the g5 or fcs level which you know that's what stone smart seems like to me Here's my question for you, and, and we watch this ODU team all year. Do any of us really think that quarterback was the sole problem? And I'm not saying that Bobby Wilder is saying that it is, but you have to think when you bring in a, a, a multitude of three-star quarterbacks, sure, you can never have too many quarterbacks in a room, but 
that you're saying, hey, we would be a bowl team right now if we had better quarterback play. Thoughts? I certainly don't think that, and I very much doubt there's very many Old Dominion fans saying that quarterback play was the singular issue. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, like I said, you can't have too many quarterbacks. You can always have a ton of good quarterbacks in the room, but like you said, when you're bringing in JUCO guys, you're saying, hey, it's not planning for the future. It's not we want to have a couple quarterbacks on the roster for when you know guy X. Uh, graduates or you know goes on to next level it's saying we need competition now Mm -hmm. and i just you know i I don't want to belabor the point uh you know too much but for a kid like stephen williams i just wonder if his confidence might might have gotten shot um jumping in so early and now you bring in these vets and it's like hey clearly there's no more room for you here so and and for for larusa as well because he he, a lot of his playing time came being down multiple um scores and i've mentioned that in in various podcast articles but Mm -hmm. i think he's a solid player as well absolutely yeah i think if williams confidence hasn't taken a hit from the way last year has gone the fact that you know (laughs) the pressure's even on more so now that there's new uh new quarterbacks in that room i i think yeah there's definitely no one would blame him if his confidence did take a shot at this point which is a little bit of a bummer um yeah and i guess the next thing i'll say is um i'm working on uh, getting stuff up about uh western's class um one guy from that class that i'm particularly excited about is uh manuel allen the receiver from california i think he'll add a decent dimension to uh what i will hopefully see uh let me try that again uh i think he'll add a nice dimension to what will hopefully be a little bit better paced offense than what we saw under mike sanford now that tyson helton is uh at the helm there i think they're going to try to go back to you know some of the old bromira ways um in terms of moving the ball and from what i've seen on film this guy can definitely help and i think he'll be a nice compliment to uh kivaris thomas if they ever give him some meaningful minutes but uh i've hit that you know i've hit that topic enough over the head um yeah but i i I I'm glad you brought it up, uh, Joe, because I actually was going to ask you how you felt on it. But, hey, you just mentioned it right there. So there you go. You nailed it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think definitely need to at least give him uh, a shot at winning that job. Um, But for the tops also, I think it's a little interesting how um, – interesting in a good way in that they're replenishing their uh, special teamers right now, uh, bringing in a kicker in uh, Corey Munson from Warner Robins, Georgia, a three-star guy, and then also getting on the Australian punter hype train with Mr. John Haggerty coming in as a, as a two-star guy. So, yeah, I think um, with Alex Ranella not having too much eligibility left and uh, Ryan Nuss, of course, gone now, I think uh, that's a good move for uh, for them, and uh, yeah, I think I think they're doing some good things on that front, and hopefully this class will, you know, be part of the reason they get back to their winning ways. Yeah, I mean, you, you got to hope that. I mean, that's kind of what this is in general. This is equivalent to you know free agency in baseball, free agency in in, in all sports. It's mm-hmm. you know this is the time of hope. You know, we're we're adding players, hoping that hey, for those of you programs who didn't have the season that they really wanted you know this can be the next move that will get them back in contention and for those programs who are in bowl games right now this will keep them going forward and make a push for a conference championship so i think you kind of hit the nail on the head there nice 
Um, yeah, so top rankings on 247 right now. North Texas is in the lead. Uh, Southern Miss is in the second spot. They had a 25 commit class. Is that right? Dang. Um, so they've had 19 guys sign their NLIs right now. And with a few more uh, commits that haven't signed yet, I guess, supposedly. Joe, you know, I, and I'm each to each program their own, but I'm kind of a fan of not necessarily maybe the way FIU did it with only twelve, but I think you should kind of keep a you know a couple a couple scholarships open because think about how how you know frequent grad transfers have kind of become in vogue now. You know, I think you want to keep a couple slots open for you never know if there's a grad transfer or a JUCO that might come available. So you know, hey, if you're Southern Miss, I mean, you got to be confident in the guys you're going after. But I, I don't know. I'm, I'm more of a fan of keeping a couple slots open and seeing what, what comes up down the road. For sure. It's a big class. But I'll tell you, one kid in Southern Miss's recruiting class that I think people have reason to be very excited about is uh, this this Jaden Johnson kid, the pro-style quarterback from Memphis, uh, picked, uh, picked Southern Miss over several different uh, P5 programs, Louisville, Georgia, Indiana. Also got an offer from Memphis in there. But, uh, yeah, he is the uh, 22nd-ranked pro-style quarterback in the nation, um, 18th-ranked recruit in the state of Tennessee. Uh, that's a pretty good get for them, I think. It, it, it is. And, and, you know, once again, I don't, I don't want to be like, you know, Debbie Downer on anyone's recruiting class. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that quarterback – you can never have too many quarterbacks, but I think you got a guy right now, Jack Abraham, who <laughs> – down the road, if, if Jack Abraham is, is, let's say he's pedestrian going into, you know, week eight or week nine of the season, do you start calling for the for the, the freshman? Who knows? So, yeah, I don't want to sound like I'm being too negative and down on these programs and what they're choosing to do because they obviously have more intel than we do. But I, you can't – quarterback isn't the only position to fill on, on your roster. No, no, I completely agree with that. I just think whenever this kid does get a shot, I think he's going to be an entertaining addition to that team. Sure, sure. Yeah. But the thing is, for me, that could be two or three years down the road. So, you know, we'll see. Cool. One other thing I wanted to kind of get your opinion on, because I don't know how I feel about it um, in the recruiting world, is uh, UTEP, they, according to, um, you know, third-party services, um, should have about eight, nine, ten kids in that signing class. However, they made the announcement today that uh, they're not going to announce any of their signees until February, which I don't know how I feel about that. What do you what do you think? I feel like I can understand both sides of the argument. I'm not trying to sit here and waffle on you, Joe, but Mm -hmm. when you're a program like UTEP, I'm literally sorry about this. I'm thinking this out on the fly. When you're a program like like UTEP, I understand you're saying, hey, we are starting from scratch. And, you know, we don't want to make a big deal out of signing day, the early signing period, because, you know, we've got an entire class that's going to come in in February and we want to do it all at once. And I, and I get that. But it's, it's two, two things that I kind of rubs me the wrong way here. One. It's 2018. I, I look at, you know, I, I apologize for people who listen to this podcast and hear me ramble on about UCF so much. But I, I look at what UCF's been able to do in terms of recruiting, and they really make this early signing period and, and the entire signing period, but especially this part of it, an entire production. You know, the, the kids like to see their, you know, their name on Twitter and, and, and get that recognition. And furthermore, 
it is an accomplishment to sign a scholarship. And, and I know, you know, you're probably sitting there saying, hey, eventually they will get their recognition just in February. But you work your butt off for four years or however many years, in, in some cases even more, to have this day. And, and I, I just don't know. I don't know if it's a good look when you see, you know, kids that maybe at the school in your other county or kids who – who may even sign it for different scholarships or different um, different sports, you know, having their recognition. You're sitting there like, all right, well, I got to wait till February. So I, I don't know. I guess all in all, it, it maybe it's nothing. To, it's much to do about nothing. But those are my thoughts. Sure. I think it's not necessarily like it's I don't know. It's not a huge deal. It's just something so it's just strange. Like it's not hurting anything. If you really think that like highlighting the individual accomplishments of some of your student athletes is going to hurt the overall, you know, team culture of your program. That's absolute nonsense. So I can't imagine too many people within that athletic office actually think that. Um, second, you know, why would you, you know, try to, you know, take away from, it seems like, I don't know if the, it's certainly probably not their intention, but to basically like take this thing that these student athletes achieved and minimize it to the point where you know they're not even going to celebrate it um at least not you know when everyone else is they're just going to move the date for some reason it's that's frustrating and i don't think they're doing themselves any favors on the recruiting trail you know doing that especially when they need to start attracting some top level players if they want to be something resembling competitive again yeah, and, and that's – I think you hit the nail on the head there, you know, in a much more eloquent way than I did as I was sitting there, you know, trying to think this out on the fly. But <laughs> in, in some sort of way, you know, you're kind of inadvertently diminishing the kids' accomplishments, and, and I, I don't think that's necessarily going to do the program any favors. In, in the grand scheme of things, is it the biggest thing in the world? No. But I, I just think – I don't know. I think you're hustling backwards. <laughs> to, to quote um, the urban philosopher Meek Mill, I think you're hustling backwards by, <laughs> by doing that. So. Yeah, yeah, that definitely seems like what they're kind of doing there. Um, but uh, should be an interesting uh, recruiting period here for Conference USA as uh, some teams are kind of in the midst of some changing cultures with coaches leaving, new coaches coming on, and uh, some programs just desperately needing, uh, you know, needing some change uh, in the roster and the coaching staff, whatever. Um, so we'll probably talk about that more in the new year, but we'll go ahead and start wrapping it up. Uh, unless, Eric, there was anything else that you kind of wanted to uh, touch on before we get out of here. No, not at all. Just, you know, been an exciting uh, early signing period and looking forward to the rest of the Conference USA Bowl games. For sure. So uh, we'll watch those. Uh, most likely have thoughts on those. And uh, we'll keep you posted on when we come back from our, our holiday siesta. And uh, we'll get back on the airwaves. So with that, I'll say happy football watching, happy holidays, and uh, take care, everybody. Take care, and I'm looking forward to Joe's uh, holiday siesta.